Hey, Jason. good morning. Hello. So, Jason, just before we hit record today, although we say good morning, who knows when we'll actually get this live. Uh, but before we hit record this morning, you were telling me about some friends of yours that have been trying to find a new church and they invited you to a church that they've tried and you were telling me, and we won't mention the church, that's not cool, but you mentioned that it was probably, you said it was um, probably one of the worst church experiences that you've had. And that's something that has been a theme of ours for years now is talking about the church. And I, I want to do this big fat disclaimer that neither of us think that we have all the answers and neither of us think that we know the solution it's a lot easier sometimes to point out what's wrong than try to tr figure out what, how to do it right. Um, and I think that this is all just a part of our journey as we've come to know Christ more and learn more about the Bible, that we just see this disconnect between the way the modern church in America is, is run and what the vision of the early first century church was. So that to say, tell me about this awful, I'm just so intrigued by this awful experience. I think it's also important too, before I get into this, that we need to uh, just stress the fact that we're not poo-pooing the church body, right? right? There's a very, very clear distinction, even biblically, between um, the institution of the church and the body of Christ. Um, so we do, we will talk a lot about our experiences with right, churches and church experience and how we've been brought up and things we're seeing now. Um, and we tend to keep coming back around to this discussion of the church and how it's failing. And I think part of that comes out of, right. And I think I can speak for both Josh and I, when I say this, but I love the church. Mm -hmm. I love the church. I love the church body. I love what the church has done historically, right? For I am not totally on board with some of the other things the church has done historically. Well, um, and to be clear, I think, you know, also there are, I know there's, there's plenty of good churches out there doing really, really good things that have great leadership, that have a good organization. And I don't mean organization like they, they have, they know what to do with their building the other seven days of the, or six days of the week. What I mean is like their, their organization is all moving as a body of Christ. They're all moving toward Christ and they're all pursuing salvation as their primary mission. And in doing so create an environment that is, uh, you know, a positive one. So I know that there's lots of churches doing that. Right. Right. They're not all in that same category. Right. Right. And we're having this conversation out of our love for the church and our frustration for what it's become. And right? also, because I think, I think we both see clearly what it was intended to be and what it could be. And the gap between what it could be and what it is, is so incredibly frustrating and so yeah. heartbreaking. And also because we love, I think, I think we can both say this. We both love Jesus so much and we can see, um, how, how, what, what value having Christ in your life can bring, even though, as we've said, it's not like waving a magic wand and it's curing all your, your troubles, but the, the value and, and the meaningfulness that you find after you accept Jesus and, and what that relationship can do for you in your life is so valuable. And why we're so frustrated by some churches is that they seem to miss it and they'd probably do more harm than good. And if I think about like a goal of this podcast and what we're trying to accomplish, and we haven't really talked about it. We just thought, hey, it'd be really cool to record these 
um, conversations you and I have. But if I think of, if like one person listened to this and said, you know what, I've had a bad experience at church and maybe that's not the same thing as a bad experience with Christ. Like that's a win for me because if they can see that, you know, we're all just human and there's people out there making mistakes in the name of Christ all day and they've been doing it for uh, 2000 years, you can, I think that might help you on your way to developing a relationship, a personal relationship with Jesus. So there you go. There's our big uh, tee up. (laughs) Right. And I think, I think it's necessary. I would hate for people to get the wrong impression, wrong idea. Um, and just be like, I'm not listening to these guys because they hate church. And that's not, church. that's not the truth. No. Um, so first and foremost, church in the era of COVID is weird. Mm-hmm. It's weird. Um, and it's a weird time because literally we have access to digitally right now. We have mm-hmm. access to all of the best pastors in the world. Mm-hmm. You can be in any church you want on mm-hmm. any day of the week and listen to anybody and get any message. Um, like literally we talk about Andy Stanley a lot. He's one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. Um, one of our favorites, there's the Craig Groeschel's, um, the Stephen Furtick's, the name it, right? Mm-hmm. They're out there. There's a bazillion of them and there are a bazillion great preachers and the, they're all accessible Mm-hmm. Um, but there's something really weird about spending every Sunday in your living room watching church on television. And the weird thing about that is the church is built and based on community mm-hmm. and you can't get that community. You can't get that fellowship in your living room on a screen. That being said, some friends of ours have been church hopping and <clears throat> not necessarily, <clears throat> excuse me, church hopping for the sake of necessarily trying to find a new church, but kind of taking advantage of the time and the era and trying to figure out what else is out there, who's doing what, what community interaction is available, what isn't available, and just kind of trying to get an idea of what other churches look like, how they function, Mm -hmm. right? Who's doing what well and who's not. Um, So they invited us this last week, and this was the first time at this church for all of us. It's right down the street from their house. Oh, gotcha. Like, okay. Hey, we're going we're gonna to bounce down there this week. Do you guys want to go with us? And we were like, sure, we would totally love to go. So, and we won't mention the church again. I don't want to <laughs> sling mud in anyone's eye. That's not my intention. Um, but we get there and we walk in the door and they were super friendly. I ridiculously super creepy over the top friendly. Um, it was like, there was one lady who was clearly in charge of greeting newcomers and talking to people and kind of showing us around and talking about things. And she was great, but literally every single person that walked by, she would like grab them and pull them over and introduce them to us, introduce us to them. And everybody just had this like over the top bubbly. Oh my God. It's so nice to see you. It's so good that you came this morning. And that's great. I think that newcomers, Right, need to be welcomed, but right. there was a point, and I can't pinpoint it exactly when their nicety went from being, hey, we're excited that you're here to, oh my gosh, we don't ever get new people. Don't <laughs> let them leave that. Don't, don't let them leave the building. Um, <laughs> so we're all standing there in the foyer and we're talking and we're getting an introduction, and there are three doors into the auditorium three main doors into the auditorium. Um, And as it's getting closer to service time, somebody walks up 
and shuts the two front doors and locks them. Now, I'm sure they were unlocked from the inside and they were accessible to get out. But when you're a newcomer to a building and you're already freaked out by the creepiness of the people that are welcoming you. Yeah, hard no unlocking the doors. And then somebody locks the doors. I'm like, oh, my God, we're never going (laughs) to leave here. This is we just walked into a cult and they are going to sacrifice us on the altar this morning. Um, And I'm sure it wasn't that bad and it wasn't that big of a deal, but that it didn't leave a good impression. So then the gal explained, she was like, these two doors are locked, but you can still access the third door from the back. So we're like, okay, great. So we walk in and we get seated. um, The pastor comes out and it's a, it's an older church. Um, The pastor mentioned that he'd been there pastoring for 40 years. Oh my gosh. That's a Um, really impressive streak. Right. And then one of the gentlemen that I had talked to in the lobby was telling me that he personally had been there for 39 years. Um, he was, he was quite a bit older gentleman. So he was, I'm guessing he was my age right. when he started going there. And um, so that was the other thing, the congregation. So this, this pastor has been there for 40 years. Um, I don't know how long the church has been there. I'm guessing even longer than that. Mm-hmm. Um uh, the congregation, I would say the average age of the congregation was 60. Really? Uh, there were very, yes, there were very few. There were probably 200 people, okay. all in all, um, which wasn't bad. Um, kind of right in the middle between big church and small church. Mm-hmm. Um, he, or they, the average age was probably 60 or more. There were very few young people. Um, there were like grandparents, a handful of grandparents that had their grandkids with them, um, maybe sons and daughters, but it was very, very much an older church, which might have explained why they were so excited and overly welcoming when we got there. Right. I'm guessing that they don't get new people a lot and mm-hmm. they don't get young new people. <laughs> young, I'm 46 years old. Um, younger, new people, very, and that's what I, that's what I mean. I'm 46 and I'm describing myself as young in comparison to the rest of these people, the churchgoers that were there. Um, so they start worship and they come out, um, and there's four or five people on stage all singing together, uh, kind of a mix between a modern church service and probably like a small choir, um, and like a drummer and a guitar player, uh, a lady playing the keyboards. Um, the music was uh kind of a mix of more traditional hymn style music and then they threw in um a much more modern what you we would hear on the radio today song at the end uh there was one point where one of the gals um rapped a portion of the one of the songs that they were singing and i'm sure i'm sure right With, I don't, I'm, not, I'm trying not to be mean. It was awful. <laughs> like, it was like, I turned around and I looked at my wife and I was like, are you kidding me right now? You, I mean, this is a podcast. So unless we decide to start releasing the video, you can't see my face. But I think my eyes uh, were as big as baseballs when you said she rapped. She rapped. And yeah. And I, it's so, I mean, it's like, I'm not trying to be judgy, but like, you know, read the room, I guess. I don't know. I don't know. Yes. Well, and that's what I mean. They're trying. And that's the thing. They're trying really, really hard. They're trying really hard to stay current and stay modern, but their audience is not current and modern. 
And I felt like they lost by doing the things that they were trying to do. And I could see that they were trying. Um, they definitely lost a certain amount of reverence for what it was that they were doing by putting on a production and not a very good one. That point you just made putting on a production is something that we've talked about a, a lot over the years. And um, I think we've touched on it since we've started doing the podcast is that, you know, church becomes this place and, and, you know, the, certainly not my idea. Francis Chan talks about it um, in some ways. John Eldridge talks about it. Um, but church becomes this mechanism for creating a really entertaining one hour Sunday presentation that's about being accessible and drawing people in. And in order to do that, to be mass appeal, you have to sacrifice certain things like authentic teaching, authentic worship. Um, and by authentic, I mean a worship that might freak other people out, right? If you're really getting into your worship, it's possible that there are going to be some people doing some funny things that to the untrained eye, <laughs> the uninitiated might seem weird. Um, yeah. Presentation. And I think that's our big beef, right? Is like, it all becomes about a presentation and then it starts to feel like the giving talks are all centered around in order to make this presentation happen. We need you to financially support it as opposed to in order to keep serving our community, <laughs> we need right. to financially support that. Right. I had a right. friend, Jason, I had a friend in high school that I'd met, I kid you not, through band camp, which we can make fun of that later. Um, but he was paid. He was a great singer. He is a great singer. And he's gotten into theater in a big way, like uh, is doing his, I, I want to say he's done his master's and now he's doing his doctorate. But he, he's basically like a full-time student going back to school for theater, I think with the, the hopes of teaching theater at the collegiate level, can sing beautifully, is a really well-trained singer for both. Um, he can do opera and then also stage work. And in high school, he was paid to lead worship for a small community church where he lived. So how, and I don't think he was a believer. So how is that, you know, like this is what we're talking about, right? Like we're so consumed with the presentation they will, they are so obsessed with the production, not that it shouldn't be good. If you're going to try to lead people in worship, they should be on key. The band should be well rehearsed, all of those right. things, but obsessed Absolutely. to the point where now you have to wonder where does leading meaningful worship end and pride and vanity begin. Right. And where is that line? And it's right. thin. It's super thin. It's super thin. We were at a, we went to a service at a mega church um, over in the Vancouver area a couple of years ago. And we walked in and sat down and looked over to my right. And there's literally this giant boom with a video camera on the end. And it didn't really occur to me at first. And then five or so minutes prior to the start of the service, there's these two guys um, standing together on the corner of the stage with a microphone, apparently talking to no one. And I looked at them and I was like, who the heck are they even talking to right now? What are they, what's going on? And then I realized that they are talking to this camera on this boom that is now being right sent off to the internet. And right. And I understand people's argument will be that, right. The church is 
changing and cultures changing. And that in order for us to meet the culture and to lure people into that lore, that's a keyword to lure people into the church building, to lure people into church that we have to compete with the world and we have to be new and we have to be flashy and we have to be bright and we have to be something that people say, Oh my gosh, look at that. Look at that. Look at that. Right. And what I disagree with is that, right? The gospel was irresistible. People came to believe in Jesus by the thousands based on the preaching of the gospel alone. There was no lights. There was no smoke. There was no production. There was no band. There was no anything. None of that existed. It was people getting together to share their experience of God and sharing and spreading how the gospel of Jesus had affected them and was affecting them and their lives and their families and their, their outlying families. Right. Well, let's be, I want to be, this is where we have, you know, I think it's important to under, to add some context. And again, to keep in mind, I'm not the, the, um, the foremost, you know, authority on this conversation. I have picked this up from other people who've put in the work and done the research folks like Andy, folks like Francis Chan, um, the first century church was so consumed with serving the people around them that it, that's how the gospel became irresistible as well. When you think about um, in first century church in Rome, in, in the Roman empire, infanticide, I don't know how to say that word. Basically you would have a baby. It was no big deal to have a baby and then just leave it out to die. Like that was a common occurrence and it, it wasn't considered even horrible. But Christians, oh, uh, child sacrifice was highly popular at that time as well. Right. And so Christians, depending on what gods you believed in, sometimes they did or didn't get sacrificial babies. Right. And, and, but if your baby was born with a mild defect or wasn't the gender you wanted or whatever, you could just leave that baby out for the wolves essentially. Right. And the Christian early Christian church was so consumed with serving those babies and, and taking those babies in and, and, and similarly widows and orphans and, and the hungry and the poor, they did not look at poor as some sort of disease as we have a tendency to do in this country or that being poor and, and needing a hand up is the same thing as needing a hand out. And they didn't stigmatize experiencing homelessness. Jesus for crying out loud lived in a tent for the better part of three years if, if that's not than that, but, yeah. If if yeah. it's if that's not experiencing homelessness, then I don't know <laughs> what is. You're right. It was probably longer than that. So my point being is, if we if we scrapped if we if if church was reinvented today, it would probably look really close to the first century church. It would be you and me in our neighborhoods, serving our neighbors with abandon, you know, recklessly serving those around us. Just you know, do you need help? Do you want? Do you need help mowing your lawn? Do you need help shoveling your driveway? Do you need, and I have a story about that I want to tell. And do you need, you know, can, can we do a, a neighborhood barbecue? And then over the course of time, your neighbors look and go, they, these people love me. They don't care what color my skin is, what gender I say I am, who I love, as long as that's not illegal and, or inappropriate, right? And, and they don't care about those things. They just want to be there for me. Eventually, that neighbor is going to go, okay, what's the secret? And then you get to say, you know what, every Sunday or, you know, every day of the week, this day of the week, we get together in our home and we talk about 
you know, Jesus, and it's not weird and you're welcome to join us. And then your, your home service was, let's do a couple worship songs where it's not perfect. It's not a show. It's somebody on a piano or a guitar, or maybe not any of those things. And then we're just going to talk, like you said, we're going to talk about, we're going to share experiences. We're going to share about our personal growth. We're going to maybe have a scripture that we read and reflect on. Maybe we're all reading some book together. Maybe it's the Bible. Maybe it's somebody's interpretation of the Bible. And then, and then that's, that, I mean, that's it. And then we're just going to talk about how we can love our neighbors for the rest of the time. Who needs help? Who, what's going on? You know, I think that that, that can accomplish the same thing as this big Sunday presentation with better results right? Lasting impact and change. Cause that's what we're talking about is it's great. If you're bringing in all these people into your doors on Sunday, I think that's amazing. And if you're getting people to click and watch your video on Sunday, that's amazing. But is your offering is, is the guy on the boom and the two dudes on the mics directing them? Are they, is that process impacting life change? Right. That's the question. Right. So speaking, Absolutely. Speaking of loving our neighbor, we have this neighbor yeah. that's really difficult to love and um, for a variety of reasons, but it had just snowed and I was out shoveling my driveway and I could see that this neighbor was out shoveling their driveway. And so I thought with the kids, let's, what a great opportunity to go serve. And I fought it too. That Holy Spirit was like, you got to go. You got to go. I was like, no, I don't. No, I don't. I really don't. Like, like they're fine. Look at, look at, they're fine. They're fine. And then I just went, you know, it doesn't matter. Let's just go do this as difficult as this person is. And this does not make me a saint. This is me just giving into the Holy Spirit. So I want to be clear. Like I did not do this by my own accord. So I take my kids, we walk over there with their shovels and we say, Hey, we can see, you know, would you like some help? Like literally the person's shoveling and I'm like no response. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, really? This is what's going to happen. You're just going to cold shoulder me like that hard. So I look at my kids and they kind of go, they kind of shrug their shoulders like, oh, and right. I go, okay, one more time. And I was like, hey. And then I realized they had their earbuds in. So I took their earbuds out and, and I said, would you like help shoveling? And this person's older. And they said, you know what? This is the best exercise I get. And, you know, thank you so much. But I, I don't mind doing it because I get some really good exercise doing it. I thought, okay, so I walk away a little bit upset that I don't, now I, now you made me come over here, Holy Spirit, and I don't right. even get to do what you made me come over here, and that was a waste, but then I realized it's not even that, right? It wasn't even the fact that we, it was just the fact that we offered, and that's, I think, the biggest thing about becoming a Christian and choosing to follow Christ is you're going to routinely be put in situations that are difficult, whether it's God's moving on you to stop swearing or to stop telling little baby white lies or helping somebody carry their groceries or returning your grocery cart to where it goes at the supermarket or, and grabbing three along the way. But whatever it is, like you're gonna find yourself routinely in these little difficult things. And I, and I know I've just been railroading this conversation, but I do wanna emphasize the point of like why we still are big believers in church, in the idea of church. Um, I'm reading Mere Christianity. I've read it, I read it years ago and you said you just recently read it. And this is a C.S. Lewis book. Um, but I, I came across this thing where he says, um, he's talking about faith and talking about how, um, what, what faith means in your belief and this idea of belief. Um, and he basically acknowledged, he says this, this, this version of faith he's talking about is the kind of faith, like you're going in for surgery, 
you know that the people that are going to be, you know, caring for you while you're going in for surgery, you, you believe you have faith that they know what they're doing and you have faith and you trust that the anesthesia is going to work correctly, that you're going to be, you know, completely knocked out and they're going to be able to perform their surgery. That doesn't mean that when you hit the table that you're not going to be scared and it's the willingness to continue through that's the kind of faith he's talking about. But what he's saying is if over time that, that faith is something that's difficult to maintain. So he says, this is why daily prayers and religious readings and church going are necessary parts of the Christian life. We have to be continually reminded of what we believe. It, uh, as a matter of fact, if you examined a hundred people who had lost their faith in Christianity, I wonder how many of them would have turned out to have been reasoned out of it by honest argument. Do not most people simply drift away? And I think that like you and I know lots of people that were, we've met through the church that we know through the church that stopped going to church. And it probably wasn't because somebody came up with a really great atheist argument that Jesus doesn't exist. And it probably wasn't even that something happened in their life and it caused them to question their faith as we're talking about. It was probably just without the discipline and the and the and the doing the things that you need to do, reading the Bible, praying, going to church, worshiping, without doing those daily routines and without being reminded of what you believe, it's really easy to just stop going. And I think that's the devil, the devil is at his greatest when he doesn't need a big event to convince you not to go, when he can just do it subtly over time. Right, right. And so much of that that happens is it's not even it's not even like that it's life right it's we got invited to a barbecue on sunday morning or the kids have sports or right Right. you just kind of fall out of practice and i think that's the biggest disappointment when i think and and talk about the disparity between biblical church and what we have today the question always comes up well if we're doing it wrong what's who's doing it right Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, the answer to that is really nobody. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why the church as it is remains so important is because we still need that fellowship and we still need that community and we still need to be involved in and be a part of something that's bigger. But if you're not bought into that originally, if you're going to church service on Sunday for you mm-hmm. and not for the community and not for the fellowship, you're just going because, hey, I need this thing and it gets me through my week. It's really easy to drift away. It's really easy to fall off. It's really easy for other things to come up and suddenly be more important. And once you've missed a couple of few weeks, it's really hard to get up and go back. That's why I love the scripture that says faith without good works or faith without works is dead. It does not say faith without Sunday, every hour, you know, one hour, every Sunday is dead faith without watching, uh, you know, Andy Stanley online is dead faith without listening to this pot. You know, it says faith with, I mean, think about, I, I think about, you know, um, so Seth Meyers, one of the late night hosts um, at the, so yes, I watch Seth Meyers and you can just take that and put that where you need to. Um, <laughs> he, at the end of every one of his YouTube segments has this thing about, and I have to think of what it is, but the, it's like, it's a, it's a chef organization that's trying to feed people in New York city, but it's called like for for God's love and food delivery. It's the weirdest name of a, a nonprofit. But Seth Meyers, who probably, I don't know where he falls on his, the faith scale and if he's even a believer and what he believes or any of that. 
but he's willing to promote a charity that has God right in the middle of the name of it, not because of their great one hour service, but because of the works that they're doing. And you kind of touched on it just now. Like if, if, if we could try to figure out how to turn the church more into a, a, a service based organization, you're going to, people are going to come to you regardless of what they believe because you loved them and you cared for them. And I think a lot about like what my plan is when COVID's over, because I'll tell you right now, I enjoy watching service on Sunday from the comfort of my home. I can pause it. I can have conversations with my wife about it. My kids can watch their service. We can all do that. We can do it together in a way that we can't normally consume, you know, church because they separate you out. Um, like what is what is church here in a couple months or you know six months or however long what does that look like for me in our family because we're not ready to go back to a building i'll tell you that right now all right but it's really hard to like you know have a neighborhood barbecue right right. now yeah right now absolutely like i said dude church in the era of covid is weird it is everything in the era of covid is weird um in the Gospels, and this is important, and this goes right along with what you've been talking about. In the Gospels, Jesus says, because of the way you love one another, talking to the believers, his peeps that have been following him around, because of the way you love one another, they will know that you are mine. Mm-hmm. Right? And that word know in there, when you translate it back, is a, um, it's not knowledge. Mm-hmm. It's a very deep, intimate, almost husband and wife knowing of one another um so what that really says is because of the way you love one another they will love me right right Right. and i don't think and i think that's exactly right that nonprofit in new york that you were just talking about on the seth meyer show that's exactly what they're doing it's not about um right throwing scripture at people or condemning anybody or it's about serving people Mm-hmm. And loving one another. And then people, like you said, with your story about your earlier story, people will see that and they go, oh my gosh, what the heck is going on? Why, right. why do they act like that? Why do they behave that way? That's not something that I have in my life. Mm-hmm. It's like, I want that. I want to feel that way. I want to be loved like that. And I want the opportunity to love other people like that. Right. Right. That's been my greatest experience. The greatest catalyst for my own growth in my faith has not been right hanging out in church on Sunday. It's been getting outside of the church building, putting my feet on the ground and doing the work of the gospel. Right. And loving on people, right. That grows you exponentially. Right. But so many of us are consumed and that's it. Church has become Christmas. It's a consumer sport, right? It's, hanging out in Sunday for an hour so we can get what it is that we need when the church was designed to give other people what other people need. Right. It was never about us. It was never about you. I would like to share my own uh, love your neighbor failure. Do it. Um, I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, I mentioned on our first show real briefly that I had a love your neighbor faux pas. Um, and then it kind of got dropped off, but since you brought yours up, I wanted to mention this really quick. I think it's a good story. Um, but it's one where I still struggle and I'm not really sure 
what or what to do about it or how to go about it. So just for some context, um, I live in a very old um, turn of the century. And I mean, the previous century, not the one 20 years ago um, building and the building I actually live in um, used to be the carriage house for the mansion that's next door. But it's been converted into apartment buildings and there's a main floor apartment and then an upstairs apartment and a basement apartment. And the basement apartment um, entrance is in the back side of the building. So there's an alley that they have to walk down to get around to the back of the building to get inside. So we have a neighbor upstairs. We live on the main floor and we have a neighbor upstairs and a neighbor downstairs. Um, and we ha- honestly have never been uh, great neighbors. Um, <laughs> And we've lived in this building for 10 years. So we've seen lots of people come and go. And there are several of them that we have had casual relationships with over the years. Uh, we knew their names. We would right, pick up the mail for one another, bring packages in so they didn't get stolen. Mm-hmm. Um, we kind of have that relationship with the gal that lives upstairs from us right now. Like um, if we're away from the house and UPS drops something off, I can text her and say, Hey, can you bring this in? And we'll pick it up later. Right. Right? We're on a first name basis. Um, But that's about as far as it goes. Unfortunately, Mm. my downstairs neighbors um, and a lot like the guy that you mentioned in your story are just difficult to love. Mm -hmm. Uh, Crystal met them when they first moved in um, and got their names. So we know what their names are. Um, But that's probably about as, deep as that relationship goes literally last winter when um it had snowed and we live on an old brick street that's on a hill so it gets pretty treacherous in the winter time and it's Mm -hmm. super icy and right about where our front door is even with the street is where you start sliding down into the intersection below us so about this time last year we had had a pretty good snow and people were out and we had watched several cars one after the other slide down the hill um, and they were starting to pile up because somebody had hit one of the cars parked on the side of the road at the bottom. So then uh, as the other cars were coming down, it's like a YouTube they were starting to, coming to yeah, life. Oh, it was awful. And like, and like in slow motion, right. You're only going like 10 miles an hour down this hill anyway. So it's not like earth shattering accidents, but still right. No fun and really disappointing. And so I had my Jeep parked out there. And the tires kind of turned outwards and some gal bumped or bounced her Honda off one of my Jeep tires. And I was parked directly behind my neighbor on the hill. So he came out and some point to take his dog out to go to the bathroom. And I kind of hollered at him and I was like, Hey, just to let you know, um, people have been sliding down the hill. I'm going to move my Jeep so I don't get hit again. So like, you probably want to move also. And he just grunted at me. (laughs) Like literally grunted. And I was like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and that's just kind of an example. Um, so this, this Christmas, I decided that I wanted to do kind of reach out an olive branch, do something nice for them. Um, so I went to wake up call and I got a gift card for both upstairs and downstairs neighbors. I put a, wrote a little note on the card and I stuck it in their mailbox in each of their mailboxes. Um, the following day, the gift card I left in the mailbox for the downstairs neighbor was back in my mailbox. What? Like they literally rejected my gift. 
Do they live right below you? Directly. And I'm Dude. sure it's a nightmare. Like I said, this building's 100 years old. Um, I, I know the insulation's not great. Just based on what I can hear from the upstairs neighbor. Yeah, and we've talked about that before. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we have a small dog that plays fetch inside. Um, we have three cats now that um, chase each other. Right all over the place. I'm sure it sounds like an Amtrak is running through the apartment on a regular basis. I, I absolutely fully understand that it is probably not a joyride to live underneath me. I get that. Um, and maybe they don't like coffee. Maybe they don't drink wake up call. I totally and completely get that. The yeah, thing is mean... this, <laughs> the thing is this, I'm not offended that they gave my gift back. I'm disappointed in myself that I created a relationship with them in which they would give my gift back. Right. I think the onus is on me. So the last month or so I've been trying the last month, I've been trying to figure out ways, right. How can I love these neighbors? Um, indirectly, obviously going, we're not in a, we don't have a relationship where I can just go full bore and love them directly. So how can right. I do so indirectly? Uh, he and I compete. There's a, the primo parking spot on the curb right outside of my front door. Um, Cause that's where his sidewalk for the back entrance starts and comes up to my door. So that's like the prime spot. And he, he and I have competed for that spot. Like whichever one of us gets here earliest, like I've literally, if he leaves for a minute, I've literally jumped out there and moved my car into that spot. So that while it was empty, um, the more you describe this relationship with your neighbor, the less no, of a shock this is. <laughs> it's, it's awful. Uh, and that's what I mean. It's awful. Um, so I've started trying to love them indirectly. Um, so I've given up trying to keep that parking spot. I won't even mm-hmm. park there. Um, I park across the street. I park. There's another spot just across the driveway up the hill that um, is usually open. So I've started parking up there. Like I have given him that spot every single day for the last month. Mm-hmm. Um, when it has snowed, both times that it snowed hard enough to need shoveled this winter, I've gone out and shoveled, um, the area directly in front of where he parks, where he takes his dog out to use the bathroom. So I've shoveled that area for his dog. I've shoveled the walk. I've shoveled the sidewalk all the way back to his front door. Um, he probably has no idea. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, that it's me or that I'm the one that's doing those things or probably hasn't noticed that, hey, I get this parking spot every single time I get home from work now. I don't know what's going on. And I'm okay with that. Right. Right. For the time being, I put myself in a precarious position. Right. And like I said, when I talked about this in our first show, it was like, this was a massive fail for me. And again, it's not that they gave the gift back. I can't blame them for that. Right. I have to look at myself and I say, what have I done or not done it's put myself in a position where somebody would return a gift that you gave them. And then to top it all off, I checked my upstairs neighbor's mailbox to see if they had picked theirs up and they're kind of horizontal mailboxes that go on the front of the building. Mm-hmm. So they're deep and theirs is up a little higher. So I had to kind of bend to reach down in there and their gift card was still in the bottom of the mailbox. And I'm assuming they had just missed it because it was down deep and it's a gift card. Um, so I grabbed it and I picked it up and I put it, over the edge of the mailbox so that they would see it. Mm-hmm. I'm relatively certain when the mailman came to pick up mail that day, he got himself a nice little gift card for Christmas. <laughs> which, which again is fine, right? I think we should be... Maybe he thought it was for him. I, I'm sure he did. 
I, I wonder if the sure note could be interpreted as, oh, this is so nice. Um, yeah, it was pretty vague. So you could totally probably pick that up and look at it and be like, oh, yeah. I think it's awesome. One of the best to reflect on your, you, you've said that, you know, you don't care if he knows it's you. And I think that we talk a lot about you and I about the heart behind stuff, right? And that's where, you know, my kids are asking about why don't Christians swear? And I was like, well, it's not that simple. I think it's more the heart. And for Christians who, who still swear, I don't think God's gotten to that part. There's maybe something else that he wants to work on. So we've had this huge conversation. Like it was just one of the things that God tweaked in me early. And, and, you know, I didn't swear a lot. I mean, I did, but I didn't in mixed company. Like I didn't swear at work and I didn't really swear, you know, that kind of thing. And thinking about how you can love people in this, in this way that maybe no one ever knows about, I think a lot of like, and I'm not trying to toot my own horn here, but you talking about how you park now, I think parking is one of those things where you can love tens of thousands of people in a super simple way, being cognizant of where you park, being cognizant of how you park. Uh, when I was working still out of the co-working space that I work of out of in downtown Spokane, um, I'm usually the first one there. Like, I mean, without fail, I was usually one of the first people there and I have the ability to get the best spots. But instead, and I didn't pick, what's funny is I would normally probably pick a, like a spot in the back row, but you can't do that in a slot because the back row is actually the spots that people can reserve. So those ones are all taken, but there's this section kind of off in the corner that, uh, that isn't reserved, but like three of the two spots are reserved. And I, I know people have probably gotten used to seeing my car in one of those spots because I like just, I have, I'm habitual, but I've always thought that like, parking is just one of those ways that you can love people without really doing a whole lot because there's other people who probably need to be closer who are in a hurry or physically don't want to walk that far or can't walk that far. Um, sort of like returning your grocery cart, right? All the way. I, you see stand-up comedians go off this all the time. Like atheists get frustrated by people not returning their grocery carts to the thing. It's a, it's a common courtesy and whatever yeah. happened in common courtesy, well, and that's like, whatever not, happened to common courtesy among people and among Christians in particular, because we ought to be leading the way in common courtesy. Totally. hundred percent agree. For the first couple of years, I'm not sure it was that long, but for the first while when we first started dating, whenever we would go anywhere, um, whenever Crystal and I would go anywhere, I would always try to get like primo parking spots. Like I would try, I would, I was the guy that would like, wait, I'm going to wait. This guy's like hundred yards away from his car. Let's see where he's going. And if it's close, then we'll wait it out and we'll get that. And my justification for that was always, I was taking care of crystal. Right. Like I didn't want her to have to walk far. I didn't want her to have to like be put out. I was trying to get a closer spot so that she wouldn't have to work as hard. And I remember one day I was sitting there waiting for somebody to pull out of their parking spot. And she just looks at me. And she was like, what are you doing? She was like, we have feet. <laughs> it's like, we, we can walk. So that's kind of become our thing now. Like whenever we pull into a parking lot, I'm like, Hey, how's this way back here? And she's like, we got feet. That's like, so right. Nat Natalie gets frustrated. I don't try to get like grocery store is different. So like where I work, where I live, I'm going to park now, in a respectful if way. If the spot's open, I'm going to take it. Right. Right. And so that's how I've always been. Like, I don't mind driving down one extra aisle just to see if there's a good spot. But I've learned that that annoys Natalie, not so much for the feet thing, but that when the closer you get to the front entrance of anything, the more crowded the parking tends to be and the more difficult it is then to get out. 
So while you may have saved yourself a little bit of a journey, and I'm always thinking about like, especially with grocery shopping, I'm thinking about, I don't want to walk that far with a grocery cart fullest. I mean, any more for us going to like Costco is a two cart, a two grocery cart affair. Like we have so many people in this house that eat. It's a, it's an unreal. Like if I, if, if faith in good works could be measured in the amount of food I buy my kids, <laughs> you know, right. um, but I, I, so part of me thinks that, but then I know that like, if we have to run to a big box store or something for whatever reason, I'm going to make my, I'm going to honor my wife and I'm going to make her happier. If I just pick something that's a little further out and a little less convenient because it's one, she's going to not worry about her car, but then two, we know we're going to get out of there. Right. So, right. Hey, we, uh, we got way off track. Yeah. From our original church last Sunday story. Um, and I know we're, Right. Pushing time. You said yeah. you got to get out of here. Um, so I'm going to bounce back to that really Do fast. It. Do it. Um, so after worship, dude comes out and he gives us giving talk. They have a school and stuff there. Um, so, right. I understand. Giving right. talks, I understand anywhere. I get the gist of that. Um, I don't like it, but I totally and completely understand it. So he comes out and he gives us giving talk. And then um, he goes into announcements and his wife came up and had some announcements that she was giving. And then he spent a good solid five minutes talking about um, their app and how you need to get on their app um, and you can give from there and you can follow along and they have programs and you can be involved and na 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 na. And that was all good. And then he starts into um, his message for the day and he starts talking about hypocrisy. And he's talking about how Christians need to not be hypocrites and right be true to our words and not right just not be hypocritical and be honest and be true to our words and be careful about how we represent one another and that was all great and then he transitions into this part about um not being in the world and not being right we're in the world not of the world Mm -hmm. so not being of the world Mm -hmm. literally 15 minutes after spending five minutes of my time selling his app. He wants to talk to me about not being of the world and how Christians need to be different and we need to be set apart and we need to be right. Anti production. The great great conundrum. Production was anti-production. His whole entire message was hypocrisy, his own hypocrisy, about being of the world after selling his app. And then, and this is the part that got me. He wraps it all up by talking about our calling in Christ and how important that is and how grand that is and how God has this amazing and wonderful plan for your life. And you too can be an usher at our church. Like literally this guy has been a pastor for 40 years and he looks out at his audience that has supported his building, supported his church, supported his ministry, supported his school, paid for his children's braces and the car that he drives and says to them, your greatest calling in God is to be an usher or you can yeah. work a video camera. Do you, yeah. And I was just like, I'm done. Yeah. Like, I'm done. Crystal looked at me and she was like, can we go? And I was like, I'm like, I'm so close. And we toughed it out and finished out the rest of the service. But it was like, this is where we fail. This is why we're failing. This is why people look at the church today and they go, no, thank you. Because we absolutely live and believe 
the polar opposite of what we say that we live and believe. And it kills me. Kills it's like me. it's like if you went into a Nordstrom to buy shoes, like you already you've already bought in, their presentation sold you. You love their shoe department, you love the way they sell you shoes, you don't mind paying a little bit more. And then you get there and while you're trying them on, the guy says, Do you know what the best way to support Nordstrom is? You should come work here. And then it's like, no, no, I buy, I buy from here. Right. I just, you're absolutely right. And we've talked about that a lot. Like there's a lot of churches that fall into that same bucket where it's, you can't see the forest for the trees that because you have, and we talked about this, we, you have this building and you have these things and you've got to keep trying to figure out how to pay for these things instead of, you know, let me read you this quote. So I'm reading this book called reimagining church. Um, and it's kind of all about the way that church was supposed to look like and mm-hmm. what first century biblical church looked like um, and why and how we've gotten away from that. Uh, but this was something that he quoted in the book. Oh, and this totally going to run out of time because there's another thing that I have to mention too. That's okay, do it. Uh, so this is the quote. The trouble is not that the church is too rich, but that it has become heavily institutionalized with a crushing investment and maintenance it has the characteristics of a dinosaur and the battleship it is saddled with the plant and programmed wow i can't even read my own handwriting it is saddled with the plant and programmed beyond its means so that it is absorbed with problems of supply and preoccupied with survival the inertia of the church the inertia of the machine is such that the financial allocations the legalities the channels of organization and the attitudes of mind are all set in the direction of continuing and enhancing the status quo. Like literally that's the problem. Yeah. We have so much stuff and we are so deeply invested in doing things the way that we do things that we can't step away from that because what if we couldn't do things the way we do things? Mm -hmm. We have to have so many people show up because we have to collect so much money because we have to pay salaries and maintenance fees for our building and rent if you're in a department store or something, um, right, lights, yeah. all of the things, we got, that all requires money. And that all requires a system that is focused on bringing people to God, air quotes, and not serving the people that need to be served. Right. So this guy also mentions in his book that was published in 2009, um, so 12 years ago. 12 years ago, the Christian church in America owned $230 billion, billion dollars in real estate, $230 billion and spends between nine and $11 billion every year and things associated with building maintenance. And then we want to stand on a stage and ask people to give us money so that we can do the things that we should be doing anyway. And people wonder, you know why there's a homeless problem in America? You know why there's a hunger problem in the world? Because the church owns $230 billion worth of real estate. How many of those things would be absolutely non-existent if the church was meeting in homes and taking care of the people that it's programmed and designed, built to take care of? Well, um, yeah, if they all sold that, if they sold every, if the church collect church collectively decided to sell all of its property, you'd solve homelessness. And that was 12 years ago. Yeah. So that, what is the value of that real estate? I mean, think about it in this way. today's market. What is the value of that real estate in Spokane's market? Oh yeah. 
what if, what if bet it's twice that you know eight people or eight eight couples sit together in a home-based church you know obviously post-covid they get together in a home-based church they share their experiences they hold each other accountable they share stories they talk about god they talk about how they love god they talk about how they're winning and how they're failing sing us a couple songs they look at a couple scripture they collectively decide to give but instead of giving to support that person's mortgage or support that person's car payment, a hundred percent of what that group is able to come up goes right back into the community, goes to a nonprofit, goes to a, a organization. Maybe they take that money and they buy Christmas gifts for people, you know, one year, or they pay off someone's student loans, or they support a food bank for a month, right? Like that's what I think about is that's the impact. If you're giving and supporting in that way, people look at you and go, whoa, what's going on there? Right. Um, right. We are the body of Christ. We are called to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And as the hands and feet, that means we have to do something. Right. And it's not sit in service for an hour on Sunday right. and be entertained. Yeah. Do something, not be somewhere. Do so- Absolutely. Absolutely. Hey, are you watching WandaVision? Not yet. I was going to, you know, honestly, before we hit record today, my big thought was I just wanted to spend an hour talking about the MCU because we both love it and we're both big Marvel nerds. Um, but we got off topic and that's great. Or not off topic. We never got on my we topic. We never got on topic. Um, uh, which is totally so, fine. No, I'm totally down with that. Let's, let's just be normal. Okay. Let's just be normal. For the record, um, I just went really quick because I looked it up. So the, the nonprofit that Seth Meyers supports is ah, called God's Love We Deliver. That's awesome. Yeah. So like, and they say they're non-sectarian. So they, they probably have done that over time, but they've never changed their name. So in their name, God's Love We Deliver. And all they're about is supporting um, uh, hunger and malnutrition and alleviating those things. So I, that's awesome. Yeah. That's what we talked about. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, uh, so try to catch up on WandaVision over the next couple of weeks. I'll do that. Maybe, uh, and we'll and we'll start there because it's weird. Okay, it's I weird. Look to it. All right. Uh, I love you. We will see you soon. Okay.